Good to be with you guys. It's too bad your church building stinks. <laughs> I, was telling, I was telling Pastor a minute ago, I would shoot someone to have this building. <laughs> that was, I'm only half lying, you know. This is such a cool space. So this is rad. This feels just like a proper UK experience, you know. I like this. Yeah, um, my name is Adam Russell, and I am from Kentucky. Yes, um, really, really privileged just to, to be here and to get a chance to share with the Vineyard family from you know, all over the globe. And, and what's amazing, and I think you guys maybe know this, but I just want to confirm it for you in case you didn't know. Like God is moving in the Vineyard, like all over the world. You know, like the things that are happening here are happening in other places. And you're, you're not just this little isolated church down in one corner of Wales, but you're a part of this vine that is somehow stretched all over the world. And that's a really amazing thing. It's a really amazing thing. And so it's, it's an honor for me to be here. Um, before we get into the message, I just want to maybe tell you a few things about where I'm from. Um, we live in Kentucky, which is essentially the American South, which is a very peculiar thing. Uh, you should come visit sometime. My wife and I, we have four kids. My oldest son, River, is with me. I asked him a minute ago, I said, hey, do you want me to just leave you here, or maybe you can come back and do a, a gap year here? And he's like, you know, Dad, it, it, it might be okay because I'd be really good at basketball here. <laughs> That's how it works, you know? He probably wouldn't make the team at home, but he would destroy you guys. Um, he, he plays soccer at home, and there's... Uh, Every year we get two or three kids, two or three international kids who come over. And this year we got a couple Germans. They sauced everyone. <laughs> we won districts and nearly won some regional games as well, you know. So not a bad deal, is it? Yeah, he's, this is Kobe Bryant, everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, but my wife and I, we have four kids. River's my oldest. Then I have a son, Seth. I have one daughter, Magnolia. And then I have a little guy named Rowan. And um, uh, our little guy, Rowan, is... He's, the, he's totally insane. He's, you know, he's four years old. He was sort of our little surprise. And he's completely unchained. Uh, I'll tell you this one story. This has nothing to do with my message, by the way. Um, Rowan and I were in the, the grocery the other day. This is about two weeks ago. And we're going through the grocery, and there was, this, there was this man on one of those little carts. I don't know if you guys have these carts in, like, grocery or shopping places, like people who maybe have trouble getting around and they're like in the cart, like, you know, maybe if you're really old, you have a cart. And this guy was in this little motorized cart and he had on a black suit and he had on a, um, a burgundy shirt. Like it was interesting look. He had a gold ring on every single finger and he's a pretty big guy. And he had all of his like very orange hair slicked straight back, right? And we, we walked past him. We walked past him, and I, I could see that Rowan was making eyes at him, which, which makes every parent so nervous, because you never, especially if it's Rowan, you never know what sort of like little grenade he's going to roll down. The, and of course he does it. He pulls the pin straight out, and we get about three steps away from the man, and he says, oh my God, Dad, it's Donald Trump. <laughs> I said, no, it's not Donald Trump. The guy turns around. He's like, it's Donald Trump. He's here. We still don't know what to make of that. So, all right, everybody good? Okay, here's what I want to do this morning. I, I want to talk to you out of the Gospel of John, and I want to talk to you um, in a message that I'm calling Water to Wine, probably my favorite passage in the whole Bible. This is when Jesus goes to a wedding, 
takes some water, turns it into wine. What you should know before we get into the scripture this morning is that in addition to being a vineyard pastor, my family and I, um, we have about 10 acres of wine grapes and we make wine. So at home, at home, anytime I talk about the vineyard, no one really knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) And so we have to clarify, are you talking about the wine vineyard or are you talking about the church? In which case I say, yes. (laughs) Yeah. So what this means is I'm a wine guy. In case you didn't know, I'm a wine guy. Do I like the beers? I love the beers. Do I like Irish whiskey? Of course. Do I like scotch? Absolutely. Do I like Kentucky bourbon? You better believe it. If it's a drink, will I drink it? Yes, that's the answer. But if I have to choose, if I have to choose one and only, I'm choosing wine. There's nothing like wine in the whole world. And one of the cool things about wine, I'm just going to nerd out here for a second. Is that okay? Can you come with me? Yeah. The cool thing about wine is how it expresses, it expresses the place that it's from. So you could take Cabernet Sauvignon grapes grown in Bordeaux in France, and it's this thing, and it's this amazing thing, right? But you could take that same vine, and you can grow it in Napa Valley, California, and there's something about it that's similar, and it connects, but then there's something distinct, right? Because the vine is expressing what the French call terroir, you know, it was a great word, you know, but it's expressing the place in which it was grown. It's expressing the soil. It's expressing the, the weather. It's expressing uh, the, the bugs and the things that are around. And then it's also expressing the winemaker himself. And so every time you open a bottle of wine and pour it with dinner and you sit around with your family and have a nice chat, you're not just drinking the vine, but you're also drinking the weather and the place. And yes, even the winemaker himself. I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we begin to look at this passage where Jesus takes a little bit of water and makes some wine. Listen, every wine is an expression of place and it is an expression of the maker himself, right? Right up front. But I love wine. I love wine. It is a part of our family. Uh, The thing that I love about wine as well is that um, it only happens by the process of fermentation and fermentation is the weirdest thing, right? Fermentation is this magical process. It's Harry Potter stuff, essentially. Um, It's this magical process whereby something that is innocuous, um, something that is safe, something that is ultimately kind of uninteresting, something happens to it, and then it becomes completely other. You know, you start off with a little bit of grape juice, you know, some fruity stuff, uh, the stuff that little kids drink with their snacks, you know, those little boxes, and then you add a a little bit of yeast, and then if you give it some time, this otherworldly transformation takes place. That's what I love about fermentation. That which was innocuous, that which was ultimately uninteresting, becomes potent and captivating. That's what fermentation does. That which was sugary suddenly becomes Heady, and that which was momentary becomes preserved. How many of you realize that? Read for that eternal. This is part of the message. This is part of the parable that's locked inside of wine. There's something eternal here. There was something that used to be momentary. It went through some sort of a, an exchange, some sort of a process, and now it has become preserved. I'll tell you another little story. A few weeks ago, I have a wine nerd friend. He flew all the way from California to my house. And in his suitcase, he had a bottle of 1970 Rioja. He popped it at my house. We drank a 47-year-old Spanish wine, and it was unbelievable. (laughs) Juice that would not have lasted. 
if it had not gone through fermentation that would have become vinegar, that would have been poured out, somehow got preserved through this process of fermentation, was put in a bottle, and it lasted 47. It would have lasted longer. Jason, my friend who brought it, told me when we opened it, he said, you know, the guys who made this wine are probably dead. They're speaking from the grave to us even now, right? It's amazing. That's what I love about wine. It becomes eternal. It becomes something that lasts. And here's what I believe all of this means. I've been telling you this little story. I believe at a certain level, this means that God intends that everything that has been squeezed out, everything that is sweet, and then especially everything in your life that has been crushed by pain and the processes of of difficulty, he intends for all of that to be touched by the yeast of his kingdom and then held for eternity. That's what I believe. And finally, fermentation takes that which is neutral, that which is neutered, and that which is safe, and it makes it intoxicating. Fermentation adds the smile. (laughs) Fermentation adds the laughter. Fermentation adds the dancing. And yes, fermentation adds the danger. Now, hopefully you realize at this point that we're not just talking about wine, but we're talking about God's kingdom. We're talking about the work of Jesus. Jesus is the great vintner. He's the heavenly winemaker. And this morning, I want to talk to you about living a fermented life. What does that mean? I want to talk to you about living the laughing, the smiling, the dancing, right on the edge of danger, preserved, eternally held kind of life. In other words, the kingdom life. Let's read the scripture. John chapter 2. We're going to read the first 11 verses. It goes like this. Oh, here we go. Look at this. On the third day, there was a wedding that took place in Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. She's a good woman. (laughs) Dear woman, why do you involve me? It's a family, you know. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. By the way, this is great advice, right? Even now, Mary is speaking to all of us. All the servants of Jesus, do whatever he tells you. (laughs) Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing basically hand-washing jars, each of them holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Imagine a meniscus. Anyone remember chemistry? All the way to the top. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants knew who had drawn the water. Then he called the bridegroom aside. And he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper stuff after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. Thus he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. What a great passage. We could spend weeks here, but we're not. We're gonna spend like a few more minutes. 
I just want you to know that not a word is wasted in this gospel this morning. Not one single word. But everything hinges on the very beginning. So if we can put the very first slide back up, that'd be great. I hope you noticed that John begins to tell this little story by throwing this little phrase in at the very beginning. He says, on the third day. Anybody notice that? I hope by now that if you've been a Christian for any time at all, and maybe, maybe you're not a Christian at all, and maybe you've never read your Bible, but this will just help you out a lot. As you begin to read the Bible, ask the Holy Spirit to just file all of it away for you, okay? And then as you read the Bible, and maybe you've read the Bible for years, you need to not just read the Bible as a flat little text, but you need to listen for the subharmonics that are always being played underneath. You need to be listening for the resonances. Okay, Bible scholars, now that I've framed it like that for you, when John says, on the third day, what should you be thinking? This is a resurrection passage. That's what you need to know right up front. We're nowhere near the cross. We're nowhere near the crucifixion. We're nowhere near the tomb. But you need to know right up front that this is a resurrection passage. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, the other other gospel writers, these guys were no dummies. These guys were brilliant at weaving a story together. And when they say on the third day, they intend for you to understand that this is a resurrection passage. This is a resurrection story. The whole thing is, it's who Jesus is. He's the one who's always bringing the dead to life. And then you have to ask yourself, well, if this is a resurrection story, then what's dead? What's dead? The answer is very, sim- is very simple. The only thing that's dead in this story is the party. <laughs> Think about it, right? This is a resurrection passage. Jesus is the resurrected son of God. He is the one who will conquer death. And the only thing that's dead in this story is the party. And the reason it's dead is because they were out of wine. And this would have been a huge, huge deal. It'd be a huge deal in our own day. Imagine your wedding. You invite all of your friends and your family. They fly halfway across the country. They take a train. They come from America. They fly up from France. Everybody shows up here in Wales. And the next thing you know, you bought about half enough wine and everyone's twiddling their thumbs and it's getting awkward. It would be embarrassing. It'd be embarrassing for us. But not only that, but way more in this period of history because because, because life was so precious, this kind of thing didn't happen often, and weddings were supposed to be at least a week, and one thing you don't do is run out of the stuff, right? And so right in the middle of the wedding, the wine is gone, and so the, the party begins to die. And right here, right in the middle of the death, we find, we find Jesus. And I want you to understand this morning, that's always where you find Jesus. Anytime there's something dying, anytime there's a disaster, anytime there's something going wrong, if you look around, if you get quiet, if you open up your eyes, you'll always find the Son of God. He's always walking through the valley of the shadow. Is anybody here this morning experiencing some death in your life? You don't have to raise your hand, but you can begin to pull that up in your heart. I want you to understand this morning, if there's anything dying in your life, you don't have to be afraid because Jesus is always somewhere close. That is, if he's been invited. I hope you notice in this passage as well that the reason Jesus is there is because somebody had the good sense to invite him. That's how, that's how this story unfolds. That's how, that's how this miracle comes to be about. The beginning of this miracle is that someone had a wedding and someone else had the good sense to invite Jesus to the wedding. That's the first part of living a fermented life. 
The first part of being a Christian is to invite Jesus into your life, and so we sort of do that in a general sense. But one of the things I've learned as I've become a disciple who's followed Jesus a little bit longer is that it really is essential that you and I learn how to invite Jesus into our life over and over again. How many of you can under, understand this, that, that you can invite Jesus into your life and then keep a door shut? I've, you know, I've got this closet over here. I've really, come to my house, God. Just stay the heck away from the closet, you know? There's some things in there I'd prefer you not be a part of. Yeah, but the, but the first part of living a fermented life is, is inviting Jesus. And here's what you'll find if you look through the Gospels. If you look through the Gospels, any of the Gospels, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one thing that you'll find is that people repeatedly invite Jesus, and he always says yes. Would you come to my house? Yeah. Jairus comes to Jesus. He's got a dead girl at home and says, I've got an issue. Will you come with me? Jesus goes with him, right? Um, Zacchaeus, Jesus looks at him and says, I'm going to your house. But over and over and over in the Gospels, people invite Jesus, and Jesus always says yes. Always says yes. The second thing that we see here is that he wasn't just invited, but he was invited to a wedding. And right here from the start, we see that John is giving us more signals, kingdom signals. It should make us think not just of the resurrection, but it should also make us think at the very end of the book of Revelation, the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is a miniature picture of that last great day. So all of these, all of these themes are coming together. And so we have to ask ourselves this question. Well, what is God like? What is God like? One of the things that we know right up front is this. God is the kind of person who likes a huge party. God likes a wedding party. What is God like? Well, apparently, he's the sort of person who doesn't want a good party to die. And we see it plainly here in Jesus. And the danger is that the party that he was invited to was about to literally die. And Jesus, read for that God, is the one who remedies the situation. I want you to know something, Cardiff. Jesus is for parties. You've probably heard otherwise, and I've literally come from Kentucky to tell you <laughs> that Jesus is for parties. And this makes religious people very nervous. This makes religious people very, very nervous because, because all the questions come to the surface, right? Well, what if this party gets out of hand? Like, what if somebody gets a little too loose? What if someone dances a little too crazy or with the wrong person? Oh no, what if someone gets drunk, right? What if somebody gets drunk? Oh no. Is Pastor Adam saying that Jesus is for drunkenness? Of course not. Is Jesus for debauchery? No way. But I will tell you this. This kind of worry, this kind of concern up front, when we talk about the party of the kingdom, if we're worried about this up front, this kind of concern about what sort of dangerous things might potentially take place, this concern of making sure all the fun simmers instead of boils, it might be the biggest sin of all. You cannot remove all of the danger and keep the party. You cannot keep festive without the potential for excess. In fact, a good portion of God's nature is seen in excess. Think about it. There are billions and billions and billions of stars in our galaxy. And from what we can tell, we're the only living things that are out here. 
I mean, maybe there's something else. I'm open to that. I kind of hope there is. But from what we can tell, we're the only things that live in this galaxy, and God has scattered billions upon billions upon billions of stars throughout the cosmos. Why? Because God likes lots. <laughs> you want an existential reason? That's it. God likes lots. There's something in his nature that doesn't want a little, but he wants a lot. So many stars, so many people. There are seven billion people alive on this planet right now. There are millions of people living in cities that you and I will never think about. Lima is a city, it's in Peru. There's 15 million people there. How many of you have thought about them this week? Anytime you find lots, Anytime you find much, and anytime you find abundance, you are looking straight into the face of God. So even here, even here, when the text says that Jesus made somewhere between 150 and 180 gallons of wine for people who had already had too much to drink, isn't that what the text says? That's what the guy comes to, comes to the servant and says, hey, wait, normally people, normally people put out some of the good stuff first and they give it and then, and, then, and, then, and then they get a little drunk and then they don't notice and then they bring out the cheap stuff. But, but, but you serve the best to last, which was really an admission. We've had too much to drink already, right? And then what does Jesus do? Six stone water pots, 20 to 30 gallons a piece. Let's go conservative, right? Six times 20, 120. On the conservative end, Jesus made 120 gallons of wine for people who had already had too much to drink. Listen, listen, you think you, think you got a theology of who God is? Let's just wreck it this morning, okay? Yeah, I'm a winemaker. I've done the math. Let me tell you right now, I don't know how many people were in this village, but if we have a guess and we kind of know, there might have been 100 or 150 people at this wedding, and 120 gallons of wine was more than they could drink, no matter how, no matter how convinced they could get through it. Well, I'm telling you, you're not, you're buried. You're not coming through that, okay? Yeah, that's, that's, that's about 1,600 bottles of wine, Okay? Tell me he isn't good. Come on now. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. I mean, come on. This is unbelievable. I love what he does here. See, the fermented life is the one that God is coming into contact with. And it's the, the, the fermented life is when you and I come into the abundance of God, whatever that is, the abundance of God. And I love what Jesus does here. He takes water takes water. Read for that something common. Read for that something essential. You'll die without it. Uh, sustaining water. And he transforms it into something frivolous, excessive, and intoxicating. See, there's something about the kingdom that exists in this area. You know, one of the things we've done in the church, we, we've pinned too much of our theology on um, our, our need of Jesus. And let me tell you, you need Jesus, okay? Make no mistake, you need Jesus. It's absolutely true. But here's, the, here's something else that's also true, and you can, you can grab onto this without letting go of the other. We're vineyard people. We, we will hold something without letting go of the other, okay? 
You need Jesus, but the kingdom of God is not just based upon need. The kingdom of God is also more than need. It is abundance. The kingdom of God is not just snatching a few good people out of hell. The kingdom of God is let's throw a party for everybody. It's, it's the more. It is the more. And so this is what Jesus does. He takes something common, essential, and sustaining, and he, trans- and he transforms it into something frivolous, excessive, and intoxicating. And this is, of course, very offensive to some. We would rather not have a silly kingdom. But, but that misses the point altogether. It misses the point because the work of Jesus is the manifestation of God's kingdom. It comes so radically and so completely and so thoroughly that it fills up every need to the brim so that the only remaining things are those which are celebratory in nature. Overflowing things, more than we need things. How many of you understand this morning that if you're worried about food and shelter, you'll never concern yourself with reading and math? Let's just do this little thought project. If you're concerned with food and shelter, you'll never concern yourself with reading and math. And then if you worry with reading and math, you'll never concern yourself with art and music. And I wanna tell you something this morning. God's kingdom is the singing and the dancing and the laughing and the artistic and the excessive and the frivolous kingdom because he has completely and totally taken care of every other thing. That's the image this morning. See, we're not stewing about sin. We can no longer stew about sin all the time because Jesus is making wine, church. He has completely, completely filled that up. We're worried about lack and the containers are running over. It's not celebration at the expense of what was needed. It is the party that comes after all the harvest work has been completed. Well, that rhymed. I'm Kanye. And this is the unique word of Jesus. He's the fermented work. His is the wine work. In order to live the fermented life, you have to be connected to Jesus. Look in chapter, work, look in chapter one at the work of John. You can look back, just write this down, because I want you to go back and do a little homework. If you look in chapter one at the work of John the Baptist, specifically in verses 25 through 28, you see that John was baptizing with water. And then in verse 30 through 33, more baptizing. And then another promise that that would come. But Jesus comes, and his work is completely transformative. It's from water to wine. So the gospel begins with water, baptizing with water, and then the very next chapter, Jesus shows up, and he's taking water and turning it to wine. So you might be thinking, well, where's the connection? Where's the connection? Well, it's actually in the story that we read this morning. It's that little detail that John gives us. How many stone water pots were there? In the Bible, what is six representative of? It's the number of man. On the sixth day, God created man. It is representative of man. So in chapter one, John was submersing men into the water for forgiveness, but in chapter two, Jesus is transforming that water, that water of forgiveness into intoxicating wine. The fermented life is not just the forgiven life. Here's what I want you to know at the Cardiff Vineyard. The beginning of the kingdom is realizing and waking up that God loves you and that you've been forgiven, but that is not the end. 
God's intention is not that you would live simply as a forgiven person, but God's intention is that you would let that revelation go all the way down, that you wouldn't just keep the water pot of your life a water pot, but that you would allow Jesus to transform that into intoxicating wine and that the joy of the kingdom would begin to drop into your life today and not just later. God has a call for his church to be more than just forgiven. It's, it's the call to be family. It's the call to come to the party. It's the call to be sons and to be daughters and to know that you're actually welcomed into his house. He's not just saving you from hell. He's bringing you into his house. The fermented life is the Holy Spirit life. The fermented life is the celebration life. And this kind of life, this kind of filled life, this celebration life, this resurrection from the dead life, man, we need this kind of life. And, the, and, it, and it just, it goes, it goes and it goes and it goes and it, and it goes deeper and deeper. It's the best for last life. That's another way to think of it. The best for last life. So there's this party, it's on the verge of dying, and then Jesus rescues it. And here's what I think is most interesting about this passage. Most people at the party, they don't even know that anything was ever in jeopardy. Right? They're just having a party. All the drama is in the background. All the drama is in the background, which is to say that so much of the good stuff is hidden. I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus does this spectacular miracle. And no one in the gospel gives him a hand clap. <laughs> Good work, Jesus. No one gives Jesus a hand clap. No one gives Jesus a shout out, the DJ at the party. <laughs> Everybody, give it up for Jesus, come on. Put your hands together. No, nobody gives Jesus a standing ovation. And if you read it really closely, one of the things you see is no one even thanks Jesus. What does that mean? Well, that means when you're not even thanked, when you're hidden, when no one sees you, when no one gives you a hand clap, you should rejoice because you have entered the hilarity of God's good party. See, we imagine greatness on the stages. We imagine greatness holding microphones or having a Britney around your ear. <laughs> we imagine greatness being having someone like Simon Cowell or Beyonce speak up on your behalf. But the abundant life the kingdom life, the fermented life is often the hidden life, even to the very people that it benefits. The fermented life is the hidden life. And I want you to notice that not only does Jesus not get any public credit, but in fact, the credit goes to someone else altogether. Did you notice that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus goes to the servants and says, look, fill these stone water pots all the way to the top, then take a little bit out, Take it to the master of ceremonies. Let him taste it. On the way, it becomes wine. He tastes it. He's blown away. And then he says to the bridegroom, right? He says to the bridegroom. He says to the guy getting married. Wait a minute. Most people don't serve the best at the end. 
but you have. And did you notice that the bridegroom doesn't say, wait a minute, I, didn't, I had nothing to do with this. He, he's like, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Not only does no one give Jesus a hand clap, but the credit goes to someone else. Jesus is so sure of his standing, he's so humble, and he's so gentle. He's such a shoulder shrugger. He's so totally cool that if someone else gets the credit, he doesn't come unhinged. If you ever meet anyone who doesn't need the credit, you ever met anybody here who could, walk, who could work silently in the background and not get the credit and be okay with it? If you meet that kind of person, you just met a person who's gone from water to wine. They're on another level. They're on another level altogether. But I hope you noticed in this passage, it's in verse seven, we could put that up. I hope you noticed that there are some people in this story who do know the truth. There are some people in this little passage who do know exactly what's happened. And they're the servants. The servants. Here's what I've come to tell you this morning, Cardiff. I've come to tell you that servants see miracles. Servants get the backstory. Yeah, you ever watch those like those shows? I mean, actually, we have them like on PBS, and they're they're generally shows about the UK. Like, you know, there's there's some Tudor manor and there's like a lord, and, and then there's who always knows the dirt? The servants always know what's happening in the house, right? Other people don't know, the servants always know, and that's what we see here as well. Servants see miracles, servants know the backstory. Servants know the secrets. Hey, you want to you have an inside track with Jesus? It's really easy. Become a servant. Become a servant. Begin, begin to make your life motto this. The words of Jesus' mother. Do whatever he says. See, we dream of living life in a way where we do the telling. I don't know if this is I don't know if this is the British dream. I don't know if this is the Welsh dream, but this is certainly the American dream. The American dream is this, where we do the telling and we become the boss. The American dream is this, having servants. What we want is we want to have servants. See, we dream of living life in a way where we do the telling, but it is those who are willing to do what Jesus says who see his glory revealed. That's the key to the whole passage. It's verse five, do whatever he says. See, Vineyard, my heart is that you and I would be these kinds of people. My heart is that we would be those who take direction from Jesus, that we would, that we would labor at his word, that we would listen and then we would obey. A couple questions for you this morning. What's Jesus saying to you? Some of us are thinking, I haven't heard Jesus say anything to me lately. Okay, that's fine. What was the last thing Jesus said to you? Sometimes you just need to go back to the last thing he said and do that. Here's another question for you this morning. What is Jesus doing? He's always up to something. What have you heard? Do we listen? Do we follow through? See, this is the path to living out the fermented life. For those who are not offended, for those who are willing to serve, God will kneel and he will call us friends. And for those he calls friends, he will make sons and daughters. Here's what I'd like for us to do this morning. I'd like for us to listen to Jesus and begin to ask him, what are you saying? 
Let's just take Jesus' mother, let's just take that advice into our own hearts this morning. What is Jesus saying? And when, when we begin to listen, here's what we do. We don't worry, we don't worry with being seen or heard. And we don't, have to be, we don't have to worry about being powerful. And we don't have to worry about being honored or thanked or recognized or significant or blessed. We just have to listen and serve. If we do that, if we do what Jesus says, We'll see his glory. We'll see, we'll see his work. We'll see the things that only Jesus can do. And how many of you know that only Jesus can take water and turn it into wine? Yeah. Only Jesus can pick water into wine. Only Jesus can take your forgiveness and make it something more. Only Jesus could take cleansing and then add the spirit. Only Jesus could take the grape juice of your life, the little kitty box thing that goes into the lunch packet and down to the kindergarten. Only Jesus could take that and turn it into a Bordeaux. Only Jesus could take something temporary and make it eternal. And here's one of the ways that you know. This is how you know that you know that you know that you're being transformed. This is how you know that the Holy Spirit is really, really active in your life. It isn't just miracles. That is part of it. It is seeing miracles. But even more than that, it is, it is serving and obeying. It is listening and obeying and being okay with being hidden. I think God wants to raise up people in the vineyard all over and he wants to fill the water pots of our lives and he wants to transform that water and he wants to turn it into wine. He wants to give us the Holy Spirit without measure, more than you can drink, so much that you have to share it and he wants us to be humble like him. He wants to transform all of that inside of us which needs to be honored, which needs to receive a hand clap, which needs a stage, which needs a microphone, which needs a, a podcast and which needs a platform and he wants, to, he wants us to be hidden. He wants to put us in the background and he wants us to be okay with either being honored or not being honored because we are just servants. We, we've, we're, li we're living into something more. We're living into something more. The most amazing people that I know right now, the most amazing stories are happening with the servants and they're happening in the background. It's unbelievable. Amen? Here's what I would like to do this morning. Um, as I've been preaching, um, maybe some of us in this room, we, we, we just... We feel like, oh my gosh, God, I, I just feel like, I just almost feel like there's some sort of an invitation here this morning that maybe the Holy Spirit wants to take the water of my life and turn it into something that's intoxicating and amazing. Maybe there's, maybe there's some water in my life and Jesus wants to ferment it. Even as I've been talking, you realize, oh, there's, there's a life of Jesus that I've lived into, but then there's this other life that I have not lived into. And you realize, I, I need that this morning. Here's what I'd like to do for ministry time, if we could. If that's you, why don't you just stand? Because we just want to pray for you, wherever you're at. If you know, gosh, there's, there's something in my life, and I just, I, I know there's more. I know that I need the Holy Spirit in a new way. And there's a sense in which, gosh, I've had some water, but I haven't had much wine. Or maybe I haven't had any. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we just stand where we're at? And we're going we're gonna to do a little prayer this morning. Would that be OK? 